Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. In 1984, the Ghostbusters arrived to save the world with a script by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, directed by Ivan Reitman, featuring Bill Murray at his comedic apex and Sigourney Weaver at her most weaverist. An incredible supporting cast, it became a gold standard for comedy while also functioning as a great paranormal horror movie. 37 years later, they're back, and so are we. Tonight, we'll go through all of our thoughts, all the feels, and all the marshmallow fluff in this episode 83 for Harold. Ghostbusters Afterlife Reactions. My name is Todd, and with me, as always, is the man who once won an eggnog chugging contest against an assortment of Hells Angels, Mall Santas, and Dairy Farmers by downing eight gallons of the good stuff and raising his cholesterol by 800 points. He is a deacon in the Church of Idiocy and my partner in Idiocy for over two decades and counting. I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Very good. Lest we not forget the Cheez-Its that also accompanied the the eggnog, my friend. Well, I didn't want to get into braggadocio. I, I figured that, you know, <laughs> you didn't want to. <laughs> and I was trying to make you sound reasonably healthy. I was trying to do you a solid. <laughs> yes, 800 calories worth of eggnog is, <laughs> or, or 800 uh, points of cholesterol due to the eggnog is quite healthy. Yeah, 800 uh, calories of eggnog is approximately half a cup. I was going to say, that, that, that just won't do. <laughs> It's essentially for people who are like, eh, that buttermilk is too healthy. What else you got? <laughs> I need another layer of fat on top of that. Would you give it to me? <laughs> Here, have this eggnog with a butter swizzle. <laughs> okay, oh perfect. Gosh. Good Sounds Lord. terrific. Whoever thought of eggnog? I mean, I love it. I absolutely love eggnog. Don't get me wrong. I am pro eggnog. Mm-hmm. But who thought of this? Like here's something that is it it's like it's like the 30 weight oil. It has a viscosity rating way higher than any other dairy product. Oh my gosh, it's it's kind of questionable whether it's a liquid or a solid at sometimes as I'm drinking it. It's, and yet it's oh. that, that's the beauty of it. I mean, you 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 take a sip of it and it's just like <laughs> man, this, this this is this is just, you know, thick, you know, like you said viscous drink, you know what I mean? Yeah, so. it's it's like uh, it's like Wookie snot, essentially. Oh, and, and here, let me let me drink it? this. All right. for, for the listeners, Uncle no, Todd no, is no, on we a- don't need to get into that. Okay. We do not need to get into what what happens in the pre-production meeting stays in the pre-production meeting. Okay. okay? All right. Patrick knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, he doesn't because he's actually so so Patrick, as we as which I, I just want to give everyone an update here. Uh, Free range EDC HQ once again the the heat be dropping because the sun has gone down. <laughs> Recording this, it's like eight fifty two p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which means the sun's been down for about ten hours now, and uh, <laughs> so the temperature is steadily dropping here. And I finally was like, I gave I got one of those uh, I got one of those uh, battery powered 
lights that you can put on a, on a hat. So it's like mm. a little miner's hat sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I gave him that, the wrenches and the broken socket set I have, and told him good luck. Sent him out to work on it. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard from him in about three hours. All right. Oh, it's been lovely. It has been absolutely lovely in here. Wonderful. The thing is, I mean, we don't have heat, but at the same time, I haven't heard it kick on, which means Patrick probably still has all his fingers. So I I think it's kind of a net win, really. You sure he hasn't like run across the street to the Mickey D's, you know, walking through the drive through line again? No, no, he doesn't. He won't. He hasn't gone back to that place since he got smacked last week. (laughs) That's He has not gotten back there until that since that 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 lady at the counter smacked the taste right out of his mouth. He oh, has yeah. not been back. I can't blame him. I I told him not to go over there. Yeah. I told him not to go over there, and that you know they would not put up with his shenanigans the same as I would. Mm-hmm. He didn't listen. Oh dear. But anyways, <sighs> before we uh, dive into the the meat of our our meal you know what we're going to go after the sides first so we are going to dig into what is essentially the mashed potatoes and green beans of free range adc we're going to talk the week in geek feels so funky all right well my friend uh we started off as we have started uh the last 11 weeks off with a update on the 2021 fantasy football campaign. Or as our listeners are calling it, their long national nightmare. They're wondering <laughs> when this section is going to be done. <laughs> like, dear God, I don't even care about about football itself, let alone your fake freaking football teams. Ah, uh, but yet we must delve in and see how we're doing. Yes. So, last week we both had a victory. Uh, this week, it looks like we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. My team, Quick Slants, is well-positioned for a victory, uh, unless Russell Wilson loses his mind. And, and this is the interesting storyline of the evening. They All Hate You is currently uh, in a losing predicament, but uh, Uncle Todd, much like the man they called him a couple weeks ago, is really hanging his hat on an 80-point performance from Russell Wilson tonight. You know, it is against the Washington football team, which is not known for its defense. So uh, he very well could be uh, playing with magic here. And sadly, if that goes his way, it also means I'm probably in a lot of trouble too, uh, as my uh, 20-point uh, you know lead right now dissolves uh, if, if this happens. So... That is kind of the the state of where we're at. How how are you feeling, sir, uh, this potentially being your first loss in a number of weeks? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it is fake football. And I know that when it comes to this, the football gods hate me because I should not have ever, ever, ever (laughs) come back and done another season of fantasy football. So I'm really, I'm braced for the worst. However... Weird stuff happens, man. I mean, we are we are into the, the the top of the second quarter here as we are recording, and and Seattle has themselves a seven to three uh, lead right now, and and I got nine fantasy points, which means right now that according to Yahoo, I have a three percent chance of winning. But you're saying there's a chance, <laughs> so I'm gonna uh, cling to that. I'm go. gonna cling to that like Leonardo DiCaprio is clinging to that piece of wood at Hope. the end of Titanic. Hope springs eternal. Yep, and and right around the time we finish this show, then it should be about the time when I'm completely just dead and gone, and Tim's gonna pry my lifeless corpse <laughs> off of the off of the board, <laughs> which was really kind of a smack in the face if if you really think about that in that movie. Like she didn't need to like 
Like the, the thing was, if anything, he was probably creating more buoyancy for that little piece of wood that she was on. And, and, and no, she's like, I'll never let you go. <laughs> Snapping the fingers off. like, <laughs> And just watching him drift down to the, to the depths. Never let you go. Well, except now. And there you go. But that's going to be me at the end of this. I'm just going to be. Oh, wait a minute. Update. Russell Wilson's now got 12 points. So. Wow. Live update. <laughs> Jeez, look at that. In progress, ladies and gentlemen, it's 212 to 144. I'm coming back, baby. I'm coming back. I'm I'm looking at my matchup and and literally just saw a one percentage point increase on my side for a chance to win and of course a loss of a percentage on the other side from my opponent. So 85% chance of winning, 15% chance of, of uh, him making a comeback. Again, all hinging on the the Russell Wilson coming through with, with a magical performance tonight. Yes, it it's always feels great to be banking on a guy who, who Russell, fingers aren't supposed to bend that way, Wilson, is, you, is where you're hoping on his passing arm. Like, yes. oh, that's a great feeling right there. The only better feeling was at least I dodged the Ryan Tannenhill roller coaster. Yes. That was my other option at quarterback. It was like, it can't, it was a no win situation. It was a Kobayashi Maru of, ah. of fantasy football quarterbacks for and me look this at week. You. Captain Kirk navigating yeah. the the choppy waters, if you will. How do I go in and and, and hack this some bitch? Is what I want to know. <laughs> it's my only chance. It's my only chance. But anyway, uh, they all hate you. Probably more than likely sinking back to five hundred, which at this point still kind of a victory for me. Really, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, sir. you know. There's still time for me to make a race for the bottom. I think you will still be in fourth place because the the team just below you in fifth place is is losing uh, and will lose this week, it looks like. So I believe you will maintain buoyancy, if you will. (laughs) I don't think so. I think I'm still getting pried off of the raft and sinking down (laughs) into the Marianas Trench. I really feel that's 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 the best metaphor for me right now. I did notice uh, in the playoff brackets because they have now started to slot the teams because we are coming upon our final couple of weeks of the regular season for for the fantasy league, and it looks like uh, while well, I have a first round bye, assuming I remain in first for the remainder of the season, and, and Uncle Todd stays in fourth, uh, we will be in the same overall bracket, meaning we will have Idiot Bowl three contested as the semifinal uh, contest, assuming. Uh, he is able to post a victory. So, really crossing yeah, my fingers for that. You know what they say about assume. <laughs> Just going to leave it right there. Just going to leave it right there. They say assume? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Yeah, add the accent on there. It sounds sounds so much better. It sounds so much better than just the reality that it is. Uh, indeed. All right. Well, enough talk of the football campaign for this year, and let's move on to a little ditty that premiered last week during all the holiday kerfuffling that was going on. Hawkeye, first two episodes. Were you kerfuffling? I didn't know that was legal where you're where you are. I was. I mean, I I was having to you know cook and manhandle a bacon wrapped turkey breast. So I well still, know, but it, it, it I, do you have to go to like. Do you have to go to a kerfuffle like speakeasy? Is it underground kerfuffling? Well, Un- unlicensed kerfuffling, <laughs> if you will. Anyways, 
This is this is the episode Hawkeye. where Tim finally decides I can't take it with his chucklehead anymore. <laughs> Tim's gonna have his own podcast by this Friday. I got talking points, man. Come on now. <laughs> gotta stick with the script. All right, all right. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, do as gonna, you will. I was gonna ask you what you think about Hawkeye. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I, you know, I was, I was, uh, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I was, I'm very disappointed that we did not get an undercover musical. Mm-hmm. That was one of my, one of my little things. However, I am, I am very pleased with we how the show. We kind of got is- one though, didn't we? <laughs> oh my gosh! And like the worst musical ever. Ever. Oh well, my goodness. No, sorry. We we got the musical, but then in the second episode, we, we got the outdoor like I think you were thinking the outdoor stuff we saw was was going to be like a musical, and it turned out to be like one level better than a musical being the uh you know, role playing uh Oh <laughs> yeah, the LARPing? that was yes. Oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> but, but let's talk about the musical, sorry. I did I did like how he's like, you know, I can you return this oh yeah, they will charge a credit card. <laughs> Just uh, I I really enjoy how there's just little bits of business and how mm-hmm. how much of the straight man Hawkeye is like yes. Jeremy Renner plays that so beautifully mm-hmm. and that's why I kind of I always dug the 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 ScarJo uh, Jerem I don't know Remmer <laughs> you know, you're gonna pull a muscle Scar- trying to make that one happen I know that that Good was Lord. that's a, there's some contortion. I didn't stretch nearly enough to be able to do contort to get that one. That's funny. But uh, I always enjoyed their dynamic because they really were always the the, the straight men, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. you know, straight, you know, whatever. They were the ones who weren't wise Alex. They weren't joking around and all of that. And the only time you could ever kind of see a little bit of sarcasm or or, or the that kind of playfulness was the two of them together, you know. And so I seeing him in this it's it's I, I just really enjoy the dynamic there and i you know the kate bishop character is kind of growing on me the first episode i was like i don't know if i really want to watch a whole show about her there was something about the character that was getting on my nerves and i can't ex- i can't even explain what it is however by the end of the second episode i was like all right kate bishop oh yeah 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 i don't know something about the character in the first episode that was just it was bugging me and like i said it's i can't even put words to what it is Mm -hmm. so i know it's probably just me and so you know don't don't feel you have to send all the hate mail but if you do send it to tim at freerangeidc.com and tim can enjoy all of those but by the end of the second episode i was really enjoying the dynamic and i'm enjoying kind of the level of humor and also the action Mm -hmm. uh that's happening i think it's it, it to me, it's a good show so far. I'm excited to see where they go from here and how it kind of expands out of this. Mm. How about you, sir? Yeah, no, I I, I agree with your thoughts. Uh, had, had similar ones of my own. What I found interesting, and, and I, I am wondering if this is going to end up kind of being the heart and soul of, of the series, is very early on when they are watching the musical and you see it kind of focus in on who, whoever is playing yes. Black Widow. Yeah. And you just see his face and, you know, there there has been some rumorage out there that we may see Flo Flo uh, pop up, you know, now that's really now that ScarJo is. Uh, oh, yeah. Because if you remember at the end of Black Widow, that's there, right. yes. there was the revelation to her about who supposedly killed uh, her sister. And yes. so I'm wondering if there's going to be like a reckoning that will kind of be the dramatic fulcrum, if you will, of this series. Hmm. 
because that that's that seems to be something that is weighing heavily on him as as we saw in that in in that episode and you know as as he exited it it wasn't because he was uh <laughs> you know you certainly could make a and 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 I was kind of trying to see if it was um Chris Evans playing Captain America cuz my gosh, the guy looks really, really close to like Chris Evans. Yeah, but you know, he he gets up to 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 take a breath, and and so there's there's definitely some unresolved feelings there that I'm wondering if he will end up processing that through this journey he's about to go through this John McClane esque journey he's about to go on. Yeah, I think there's a I think it is interesting that we will get to see a bit of that of of a little bit of maybe the the PTSD aspect of this. Like you get to you see, and you we saw it a little bit with Thor mm-hmm. in Endgame, and you saw a little bit of, of it with Hawkeye as well, just in terms of of how he became Ronin and just said, you know right. what, I'm just going to go kill a bunch of guys. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how I'm. That's how I'm going to process my grief at losing my my family. Everybody everybody has it. I mean, everyone has a way to process grief. Some people, you know, eat. Some people work out. Some people bury themselves in work. Some people just decide, you know what, I'm going to go kill everybody in the criminal underworld. <laughs> Oh, you mean everyone from one crime family? No, everyone in the criminal underworld, everywhere in the entire world. And then I'm going to get a spaceship and I'm going to go kill everyone in the criminal underworld on every planet. Okay, then. Good luck. But yeah, we're kind of, you, you know, he's he has a hard time dealing with the fact that people talk about, you know, oh, well, you saved our city. And he like this is a guy who is not necessarily comfortable being a superhero, yeah. being a yeah. being a hero, period. Like this is the guy who's always wants to be off in the distance and kind of see things from a distance and all that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I agree. That's it's an interesting a- angle to take with him and to to kind of see a bit of a more human side to uh, superheroes. Yeah, I did like, and, and I don't know why this stood out in my mind, but but I thought it was kind of a, an, an interesting uh, exchange with his wife when he's chatting with her and the kids are home and and he's talking about missing doing the gingerbread houses and she she asks him like like what he's about to do and there's there's kind of like this the shorthand mm, yeah. uh, talk that they have where, where she kind of understands what he's going to be doing. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go do a little catch and release. And she's like, Oh yeah, that's something like Nat would do, you know, like just kind of that familiarity and just that bond that, that they have. And, you know, I just, I, I don't know. It, it just, it was kind of an, I, I thought it was a nice detail that they added in where even though, you know, he, he is this guy who putting his life on the line almost on a regular basis. Uh, his wife seems to be remarkably calm about the whole thing. So I thought that was well, kind of interesting. Yeah, because it seems like the, he actually has found this balance mm-hmm. and this way of, of communicating and, and in, in this openness with his wife. Like you can tell in their relationship in, uh, was it Infinity War? Or, no, it was, end, was it Endgame? Uh, I can't remember where they went to Hawkeye's house and the movie kind of just like st- kind of paused a little oh, bit. Oh, that that was in um Age was of Infinity Ultron. War. Age, Age of Ultron. Ultron. That's right. Okay. Duh. Pick an Avengers movie, <laughs> but just this idea of like he he seems like he is the family guy and that he is, you know, very much in love with his wife and and loves his family and loves all of that, but he also has this other thing that's like, well, I I I just I just do this thing. You know, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it would make sense that they would have that shorthand because it doesn't seem like he keeps anything from her, you know, as opposed to almost every other Avenger who has some type of level of secrecy with with people that they're close to. Agreed. So, yeah, overall, I thought it was a great, you know, start to the series. I'm curious where they're going to go with it and kind of what uh, 
you know, a lot, you know, similar to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I mean, there's, I'm curious how they're going to kind of weave a villain in that's going to be worthy of the hero. And, you know, what are the larger implications of all of this, which is, you know, typically the question you ask yourself when you enter into any sort of Marvel property. So it'll be very, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see where they go. Yes, yes. All right. So now with Hawkeye behind us, now we get to the part where, well, the man they call Tim, he's got a little chip on his shoulder. Oh boy, folks! Little chip. Just gonna say right now, you might want to you might want to have a seat if you're not already sitting down. Pour yourself a double, if you will. Yeah, maybe make that a triple. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, a couple of weeks back, we saw in the wrestling news, uh, WWE released uh, seven of their main roster acts in what is uh, apparently becoming a common pattern for them of of letting talent go as opposed to retaining them. These uh, talent were actually, uh, what made this kind of odd was the fact that the talent was very much, you know, on TV, involved in storylines. It it, it was very, very odd. And and this has been, I don't want to call it a pattern, although I guess we could in a way, because it's happened a couple times. It's totally a pattern. There's enough data points now. I think you can call this a pattern. Yeah, so so acts like Hit Row, which which uh, and had four members. One of the members was let go in the last cuts, and then which is about a month, month and a half ago. The the remaining three members um, got cut, and this was all on the 18th of November, going back a couple weeks. Uh, they were let go. John Morrison was let go. Uh, Tegan Knox, uh, Drake Maverick, and, and a few others. And the the typical uh, company line for this is is that budget cuts are are the reason why they're doing this, even though. Over the last uh, two years, they've been posting record revenue and profits. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a little curious what exactly the budget is, um, because they seem to be making money hand over fist at at the moment. You know what the budget is? Whatever Vince wants it to be. (laughs) I'm and I'm I'm saying that to be clever, but it's it's also that's just the way it is too. It It is. And what is kind of gnawing at me about this, um, and, and I've shared this with, with Uncle Todd, is so over the last couple of months, I mean, I have been from, I'm trying to think back, like probably 83, 84 is when I got into, into wrestling. And, and, and it, was the, it was the Roddy Piper, you know, bashing Snooker over the head with a coconut promo that, that I was like, oh, this, this is interesting. I, I got to watch this. And then I've been like sold ever since. I have been a through and through WWE supporter and fan have watched the product, have supported the product. I am actually getting to the point where it's going to be very hard for me to watch the product moving forward because I honestly don't understand what direction they're going in at this point. Mm. When when you look at their roster and you look at what they have still retained for talent, a lot of them are mid 30s to late 30s, early 40s established names. And a lot of the younger guys are just not, and and gals are just not getting really the appropriate time to establish themselves and make themselves into something. They're really just trying to rush success. And, and really with this, I mean, this group hit hit row was, was gaining a lot of momentum. They were, they were, uh, from what I understand, you know, really hitting it with the audience well. And, you know, they were, they were embroiled in kind of a storyline with Sami Zayn and, and it just all of a sudden stopped. You know, just uh, they, they got let go and it was done. That was it. So to, to me as a fan, it's just it's hard to invest in any kind of storylines at this point, because I don't know if what I'm watching is going to actually end up being the thing I see in pay-per-view at some point. I mean, they could just jettison a few other people. And that's that with the product. It, it does also seem to like management is dismantling a lot of what 
uh, Paul Levesque, uh, Triple H has built up uh, over the course of the 2010s in NXT. That whole system has been rebooted. Uh, and so now we have NXT 2.0 and it's kind of doing its own thing. And I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to build talent the right way. I think NXT was for a long time very much what AEW is, which is what I have been gravitating towards watching and really emphasizing the professional wrestling aspect of shockingly professional wrestling. The but hell I, you say. I know. How dare they? Wrestle? No. We need to see you tap dance. You know, it's it, it's just a bad situation overall. And it kind of goes back to something you and I talked about a few episodes back when Mick Foley tweeted out, at this point, how can you as a talent trust them with your future? It's it, It's got to be very difficult being kind of a young up and coming talent at this point, because Ring of Honor, which was another independent uh, league that existed in, in, in the U.S., they recently, at the end of this year, will suspend their operations. So they were also kind of a incubator of sorts of for talent who would establish themselves and then kind of move up to the next level. They're gone. They're they're going to be done. So really, it's just going to be AEW and WWE. And so as a young talent, it's like, do you go to WWE to try to make a name for yourself but not know exactly how it's going to go? Or do you try to go to AEW, who at this point has got to be kind of pretty well flush with talent? And, you know, there's only so many more they're going to be able to take. You know what I mean? Like they can't just keep taking in all the talent Vince is cutting because that's just not going to it's just not sustainable and scalable in the long term. So, you know, so I really feel for 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 the folks who are who are trying to build a career and build a brand around themselves, because it's, it's hard to do that when the winds shift at a 90 degree angle almost instantaneously on them. And so, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I, I never thought I'd come to the point where I would not support or want to watch WWE. But I, at this point, it's it's just I, I have very little motivation to do so. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to get your thoughts on this as well, because I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I chat with Uncle Todd a little bit about this and I talk his ear off about AEW, but man, they, they are putting together just a great product right now with the talent they have really feels like a strong wrestling company, you know, really compelling storylines you get it emotionally involved in matches. Even the younger guys and and some of the undercard talent, you know, are, are all very watchable matches, and 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 they just do a great job telling a a athletic competitive match sort of story with with these matches, you know. And and what I find so interesting is at the end of these matches, both guys or both gals come out stronger, you know. Mm-hmm. Like 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 yes, the the loser takes a loss and they're a loser, but. They end up coming out stronger and you, you come back and want to see them, you know, come in for another match and, and, and try to turn it around. And so I just really feel like AEW is just doing an amazing job, you know, kind of carrying the torch of professional wrestling while WWE is just more and more slipping to the side of just becoming a content creation company. So I will uh, pass the baton over to Uncle Todd, though, to get his thoughts. Well, I think you nailed it there. They are in the business of content creation. And this is something we talked about before where I saw it on a video from a cultaholic wrestling where essentially this is what Vince has always wanted. He doesn't want to have to rely on paying certain guys or gals. He, he doesn't want to have to coddle to certain names. He wants WWE, the initials, the company, the brand to be the draw. And then whatever is there, people are going to watch because they are just WWE watchers. And with their deals that they have right now, especially where they have security in terms of, you know, their deal with Fox, their deal with USA, their deal with Peacock. I don't know how long those deals run, but I do know they're for a buttload of money for each of them. Mm -hmm. 
And if you've got that sort of money and I mean, granted, maybe you're not drawing the, the ratings you were, but you do have a certain amount of security and Hey, I got a contract for this amount of time and we'll figure that out down the road. And yeah, we'll take a dip now to come out ahead in the end. Whatever the thinking there is the, at the end of the day though, it's Vince's way or the highway. And it, always has been. And it's been a slightly saner way. And it's also been crazier ways. And Vince does what Vince wants to do. And nobody else can have the ideas unless unless it comes through Vince or Vince thinks that it's his idea. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that with the way that he's treated talent. We've seen that in, in stories from Mick Foley, from different people, like it's got to be Vince's idea. Right. Right. And even at the times when when, you know, the beginning of the attitude era where he he kind of let people do what they want to. Part of that was just the fact that he was at a total loss and it kind of at the bottom of the hill, yeah. like he had just gone through all of this stuff and and his company's on the skids. He's getting his tail kicked in by WCW. I look at that as he didn't really have many other choices. Mm-hmm. And that's where that came from. Yeah. And then yeah. you look at everything that's gone since then. And now he's, I think, as an older man, he's he's less inclined to change his attitudes and his ways. And in fact, he's probably going to lean more into them. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's totally one of those things. That it's not unexpected at all to see this. And yeah. I mean, wrestlers have always been cut. There's always been a coming and going sort of deal with wrestling, especially back in the day when a lot of stuff was done on a handshake and all that. But right now, these these cuts are just coming so fast and furious. You have guys like Uncle Corny, you know, mm-hmm. Jim Cornette, as as well versed of a wrestling historian as you can possibly find. And he is even flummoxed at this point as to what the hell is going on. Yeah. So if if Corny can't figure it out. I sure as shooting can't. All I can do is take a guess. But I mean, as far as like, where would a wrestler go? A young wrestler mm-hmm. coming up. Mm-hmm. On on one hand, you can look at this and say, well, at the very least, now there's two companies. Like, yeah, yeah Ring of Honor goes away. You know, okay, but they're a minor league thing. They're a minor league promotion. They were never going to compete. They were never setting out to compete with WWE. Right. So they're gone. Okay. Well, you know what? There's always other promotions. There's always someone starting up these small promotions and. And working their way up and getting attention. At least now you have two big companies. You have yeah. a choice for the longest time now. It's just been WWE. Yeah. And yeah, oh, you can go to TNA or Impact or whatever the crap it's called at that point. But it's like, meh, just kind of like a AAA version. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I, I, I didn't think to mention Impact Wrestling. So it, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that. So there were four. Now there's three. Right. Yeah, but but at the same time, like that third one is, yeah, it's not even like I don't even. I mean, yeah, it's W. It's sort of like ECW ish. Like Mm -hmm. it's not really direct competition for either of them. The thing is, if you're if you're a young upcoming wrestler, you have now have two choices, and the fact is, you're going to go wherever they wherever someone's going to pay you, unless you have a rocket strapped to your butt in terms of internet buzz, and someone is willing to really lay out a guaranteed contract or something exorbitant. Mm-hmm. you're going to go wherever you can get a gig. Like that's just the way it is. That's right. the way it, that's the way it is in any kind of talent field. If you're a musician, you take the gigs. You're just starting out. It doesn't matter if you're playing at a buffet at a freaking Ramada Inn. you're taking the gig because you just need gigs mm-hmm. and, and they'll pay you. So that much really isn't going to change except that now you at least have two options. You have better odds. But as far as like, if you have a, if you actually have a choice, if both offers are equal, hell no, you're not going to go to WWE. No way. Not unless point. you not unless you were to get like something that no one has ever that I know of gotten, which is creative control mm-hmm. over over their character. And I don't think I think different people have had different levels of that, but it's only because Vince has granted them that. It's never been like 
in your contract yeah. that I that I know of. Granted, I'm not the wrestling historian of the world. So, I mean, yeah, but at, at the same time, I can't be that excited about AEW because it's almost that it's that sort of thing like, well, they're better than them. Well, crap. That's not a very high bar. It's like someone telling me, saying, like, I can play basketball better than you. Dude, I'm five feet eight with, like, bad ankles. Well, this, no is, where, th- th- this is where I have to disagree because I, I have – and I know you haven't been you – know, Well, no, and, I, and I, I'm, not saying that to, I'm not saying that to take, it, to take a shot at AEW sure, or to try sure. and tear them down. I'm just saying that it's a very low bar for them mm-hmm. to get over. And, I, and, and, they, ah, and gotcha. from the sound of it, they are doing wonders – Yes. But a lot of it is by comparison, like compared to WWE, they're amazing. Yeah. Now, I don't know enough to say if they're all time great and all this, but I mean, they're doing more right things than WWE is for sure, which they ought to be applauded for. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. definitely. And and it's it's a type of thing where right now I'm canceling my Peacock subscription uh, because I no longer have any interest in watching WWE because I kind of saw some highlights or lowlights of Survivor Series. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Which is Here's incredible. $10. Here's $10 a month I can save. Right. Which which is incredible when you think about the fact that we reviewed it on this show last year and the year before. And I think it was yep. the, two years ago was when they did NXT versus Raw versus SmackDown. And there were just some amazing matches with NXT talent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 they, none and of now? It. No. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's sad. But at the same time, it's not that unexpected. It and, really and, and is. One other little data sad. point, if I could throw out. And, and this is a a rumor not confirmed, but you know, one of the comments made about, you know, some of the talent that's been released is, well, gee, they just got called up from, from NXT to the main roster and they really haven't had a lot of time to kind of, you know, establish themselves. So it seems premature to cut them. Well, one of the rumors is that NXT talent, they have a 30 day, no compete clause. So some of the talent that gets called up to the main roster, when you come up to the main roster, you fall then into the 90 day. And so the thought is, are they calling up talent? giving them kind of an opportunity to see if they can make a big splash and, and make an impact quickly. And if not, you cut them and they have to wait 90 days before they can find any gainful employment. So, Which, which sounds like a terribly short-sighted strategy, but then again, so yeah. does like completely undercutting your farm system and any young talent that might eventually break through. Right. And they've been doing that. And the other thing is, to also your point and to, to kind of quote uh, Uncle Corny, you said that AEW can't sign them all. Well, there's no evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. So according to Uncle Corny, you know, like he keeps writing checks and yeah. they keep clearing. So well, <laughs> who I mean, knows? Yeah. So, I mean, so far, uh, the, the the big standout that hasn't signed is Bray Wyatt. So he he is free and clear to sign and he has not. So which is at least one talent odd. they haven't. But. But, but then again, I mean, that's – I don't know. Bray Wyatt um, seems like to me like he might be the one guy who was smart enough with his money and he's just saying, you know what? I'm going to take a year off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to get any kind of nagging physical injuries that I've had. I'm going to take care of. I am just going to sit and think of ideas. Mm-hmm. And that way when I decide, and and maybe he's even thinking like maybe WWE will come to their senses or maybe WWE will get sold or maybe Vince will get, you know, frozen in a cryogenic chamber and, and <laughs> Triple H will finally ascend <laughs> to the throne. <laughs> Maybe this is that. Maybe this is when they put Vince away for like twenty years, so that they can bring back his his frozen head in a jar. Maybe this is <laughs> finally when it the process starts. But maybe he's thinking uh, like, I'm just going to sit out for a while, come up with some ideas, and then hey, yeah, eventually I'll sign with AEW if they've got the money, or maybe I'll go back to WWE if things change. 
but this is the best thing possible for me. I'm going to heal. I'm going to come up back with a thousand ideas and probably still make a butt ton of money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Either that or maybe he's just like, you know what? I hate all things wrestling now. <laughs> you've you've Three killed guys, it all for me. I'm going home. <laughs> exactly. The Cartman <laughs> approach, which, you know what, is totally valid. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, uh, well, well thank you thank you for giving us your, your vent on on wrestling and sir with that appreciate it yes with that therapeutic uh, venting session that my friends is the slightly over 30 minute version of the week in geek slightly slightly yes we had a 10 minute intro i was watching <laughs> sure sure yeah <laughs> and if you believe that I've got a good chance to win tonight. Oh, by the way, a uh, quick update. Russell Wilson now has 16 fantasy points. We are one minute left in the second quarter. I'm telling you, do, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? Because I'll need one because I got a 1% chance of winning now, according to Yahoo. I was going to say it's it's roughly the same number of points that uh, Debo Samuel had, I believe, before the half when I was pulling for him to put 60 up. So. Exactly. But at least with a quarterback, you've got a fighting chance at that <laughs> wide receiver. Yeah. That's like saying, you know what? The entire world's, you know, world's destruction hinges on whether or not I can dunk a basketball. Mm, yes. Yeah. You like that a little bit better if it's at least someone who has functional knees and ankles still, you know, mm -hmm. that's kind of the difference for me. <sighs> but thank you, sir, for for kind of bringing all that together in the Week in Geek. Really appreciate that. Now we're going to get on to the heart of the matter, as Don Henley once said. And mm -hmm. God, I hate myself for even quoting Don Henley tonight. But oh, well, well we're you've come a long about... way if that's who you're quoting. <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> I've I have quoted worse, and I will again. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Ghostbusters Afterlife. I, of course, saw this. Uh, did I see this the day before? Like another one of those Thursdays when it opens on. I think I did. Think when it opens did, on yeah. Friday. Yeah. So I saw this uh, opening weekend. You uh, had to wait a few days. So you saw this uh, the second week that it was out. Wednesday of last week. Yes. And I believe that uh, I, I, I think that I'm not spoiling a whole lot here when I say that we both enjoyed the flick. Would I be correct oh, yeah. in that? Okay. So just a, a heads out ahead of this. We are not going to be careful with our, our spoilers or anything like that. So if you have not seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, you want to go watch that and then come back and listen to this because mm -hmm. we are not holding back anything. We're going to talk about it all. And uh, don't blame us and don't get all hateful with your keyboard and, and start, you know, lashing out. But if you do, send those to Tim at freerangeindustry.com. How did I know that was coming? <laughs> And let him know exactly how you feel. Ah! Yes. So anyways, uh, so some overall thoughts before we dive into some more uh, more of the details of this. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on this, sir? How did you feel about the flick as a whole? I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a well put together story. Gosh, th th there's just so much to gush about. I I love the pace of the story. I, I really liked how it wasn't a... Hey, we're gonna recreate building the business and and getting out yeah. there and busting ghosts and doing all this stuff. It was just this sort of journey of his and his being Egon's family to kind of understand who he once was and mm. and I just loved like like I I love throughout the movie whenever they'd bring up his you know his name or or who or the farmer you know whatever they would say about him and everyone in the town's like you mean the dirt farmer. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it's like the same reaction from everyone. It was awesome. Which is so fitting because you could totally see Egon out there being so weird that people yeah. are just like, yeah, he he's just bizarre. Like 
don't don't talk to him for too long or I, he isn't going to want to talk to you for too long. Right. Right. And and yeah. So, I mean, everything was just, you know, just around, you know, the, how the townspeople reacted to him was was spot on. I really, I, I mean, I don't know how, how deep I want to go here because there, there's a lot of points I wanted to kind of hit on. But I know one of the criticisms the, the movie is getting, you know, I've seen some comparisons to like Force Awakens where it's kind of recycling basically, you know, some story elements from the first movie. But, you know, I kind of felt like it was the right thing to do for this kind of story because you don't want to be telling this kind of story about family and connectiveness and, you know, loyalty and things like that. And also have to explain the mechanics of the villain and all the backstory and all of that. I, I think the fact that they went with something that like, like there was almost an acknowledgement, like you all know how this story kind of goes. So mm. you're going to see it play out kind of similar to the first one. And, and we don't have to spend a lot of time explaining it, but we can focus on the important stuff, which is really the relationships between the characters and how that comes together to kind yeah. of be the thing that thwarts the villain in the end. Mm -hmm. And and I really liked how they did that. I thought it was just, you know, so, some may disagree and think it's just kind of lazy storytelling. But but again, because I think the thrust of the story was about family, I think it makes sense to use something that everyone is familiar with because most people seeing this movie will have probably seen Ghostbusters 1. And, you know, for, for, for the most part, not, of course, not everyone, but for the most mm -hmm. part. And so there doesn't have to be a lot of getting into what is the key master, what is the gatekeeper, you know, all of that had been gone over in the first movie. And, yeah. and so I, I just like how that just kind of smoothly played out. And it was this great story about the power of family and, and the connectiveness there and, and just his family kind of coming to an understanding of who he really was and, and, and just really kind of creating that palpable sort of pain. You know, his, his daughter really kind of articulating the neglect that she felt, not realizing that he was kind of about a, a greater purpose and not understanding that, but having that moment at the end to kind of reconcile that I thought was just kind of a really, it, it was deep for that franchise. You know, the, the the, mm -hmm. the franchise is about guys fighting ghosts. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you, yeah. you know, they, they, they get to this point where it's like, you know, she goes to hug him at the end and you're, you're his, his ghost. And, and it was like a real moment, you know, it's just like you, you kind of, you had to feel the emotion of that if you were really there and into it. And, and so, uh, so I, I just thought they, they just did a, a fantastic job with, with the story and just the themes that they were trying to really emphasize and, and play out. And, and they leveraged elements of the first, movie to kind of bring all of it together and and really just tell a very heartwarming you know kind of story at the end with a, a beloved character egon spangler yes and and to the point of that criticism i think that when people start picking out stuff like that they i don't think they necessarily understand storytelling or the fact that stories boil down to essentially the same however many structures the reason why you know you say oh well episode seven was the same as episode four yeah, yep. You know why? Because it's the hero's journey. It's this certain type of story. And that mm. certain type of story is the same story that gets retold hundreds of thousands of times in every in, in, in novels, in movies, in operas. In, I mean, whatever medium that you want to choose, this story is being told. Now, is it being told the identical way? No, but it's you boil it down and it's the same damn story. And there's also an idea of circular storytelling. Like you come back to this thing and you like realize like, oh man, they're repeating the same thing. Yes, because you know what? People are not learning and they're making some of the same mistakes and there are variations, but you're, you're seeing how this plays out because things don't always repeat, but they rhyme. Right. 
And this, to me, this is not a repeat of the first story, but it rhymes with it. Well, and and one thing I am curious to get your thoughts on this. Like like one thing as I was thinking about this and thinking about that comparison to like Force Awakens, and I'll probably get Jimmy Dice throwing something at me for saying this, but but I almost think that what was done in Force Awakens was in a way more egregious because, like I said, I feel like what they did in Ghostbusters was done to serve the greater story that was being told in that movie, whereas having a planet-killing planet, which was really kind of a retread of what we saw in A New Hope and what we saw in Return of the Jedi, you know, it didn't really serve the greater purpose of that story. It, it was kind of leaning on a, a familiar device that we've we've seen a couple of times. And here, you know, when, when, when Gozer appears and when the dogs are there and all that interaction is going on, it's just so like, I, I the word that popped in my head was efficient. It was just so efficient the way they did it. They, they didn't have to spend a lot of time explaining it. They, they were leaning on on this this concept from the first movie of Evo Shandor and all of this stuff that he was doing to try to bring this demigod back and revisiting that again and coming to this place where the, this this podunk town where oh this is where he mined all of the metal that went into the building from the first movie you know like tying it in in, in a really mm-hmm. you know kind of smooth way whereas i just felt like in force awakens it was just kind of it, it is in a lot of ways a retread not not a you know one for one but and ray definitely has a very different journey than luke but i still felt like you know what purpose does having the planet killing planet serve that story versus oh okay they're fighting gozer and the dogs they know how to do this and they have to all come together to do it and as a family defeat it and and i thought that served a greater purpose than maybe what we saw in episode 7 so if you were to say agree or disagree disagree ah da because here's the thing and and uh, disagree in 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 some of the points not in all the points you get what i'm saying though right i do but here's the thing like it's not it, you, what you're dealing with in force awakens as opposed to episode 4 and episode 6 you're dealing with an escalation of weaponry, right? The, the second Death Star was bigger than the first Death Star, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't just all of a sudden say, hey, this weapon worked. Uh, what happens to those weapons? They tend to get bigger, right? Like the, you build an atom bomb, then you build bigger atom bombs, then you build uh, nuclear bombs, and then you you keep going up from there. You know, you, you built an aircraft carrier, you build a bigger aircraft carrier. Here's now this this gigantic weapon that can annihilate multiple planets one shot mm-hmm. without having to transport itself halfway across the galaxy to do it it can just sit there and take out these planets from everywhere now granted yeah there's a weakness in there but of course you you also can't necessarily kind of count on everything that happens there but to me it's it, it wasn't it's it's circular in that it rhymes like yes of course someone's going to escalate the weaponry of course they're going to do this of course this and that the thing is, in this, in going back to saying, "Oh, well, you're just going back to the Gozer thing." Well, it's not like they destroy. It's not like they trapped Gozer. It's right, it's not like right. Gozer was was necessarily destroyed. They just mm-hmm. stopped what was happening. So to me, it's like yeah. that's that's a that's a nice callback. That like you say, it's, it's nice shorthand. Like, okay, we don't have to explain everything to you. We don't have to do like Ghostbusters two, where we have to create a whole new bad guy and his whole backstory and this and that and the other. Here's a bad guy, and here's an escalation of that. Perfect. So I disagree with your with your analysis of of Star Wars, but I agree with what you're saying in terms of like it serves the purpose of the story and gives you a good way in. So yes, right. disagree and agree because I like my cake and eat it too. Because basically, what the hell's the point of having cake unless you're going to eat it? I know. Well, sorry, I've been babbling on. How about your overall thoughts, sir? I think it's 
I think it's one of the one of the best best put together stories and movies that I've seen in in a while, and I I think it's a very fitting a successor to the original Ghostbusters movies. I enjoyed Ghostbusters too. You know, I know there's a lot of people who don't like it. I liked it. it whatever you know, but it it's it this definitely fits in, and I I think it's great. I think the last half hour of this, especially being of a certain age where you were you kind of grew up with Ghostbusters and then you grew up with Ghostbusters 2 and mm. the Ghostbusters animated series and all of that stuff and and you know you used to dr- dress up as a Ghostbuster for you know Halloween all that stuff. Yeah, the last half hour of this movie is absolute bar none effing magic. Mm-hmm. It is just gorgeous and it is it is what I was hoping we would get. Yeah. You know, there was a there was a bit of uh, you know Kevin Smith uh, on on Fat Man Beyond one of one of their more recent episodes had a mild criticism. Of course, he gushed about the movie because that's what Kevin Smith does. Because you know, Kev loves him some some movies and just movies in general, and he he very rarely has too much negative to say unless it's about Bruce Willis. So I guess if there's a Bruce Willis movie, <laughs> he's gonna vendetta. He's going to bury that one. But for this, very, very effusive in his praise. But his one mild criticism was the fact that it was over two hours and and it kind of sagged a little in the middle. I don't know. I think this, I think there was a it slowed down a little bit. I think there's a difference between slowing down and sagging. But then again, I was so in the bag for this movie from the first teaser. I cannot be objective about it. I don't think that it needed a severe edit, like he's saying, to get it down to like an hour and a half. Not everything can be, you know, yeah. two guys in a in a video and a and a convenience store. So, two hours to me was fine. Overall, I was just incredibly impressed with the movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly. My daughter enjoyed it. It was there was enough callbacks to make it interesting. There was enough Easter eggs to make it fun for for someone like me who's watched both of the first two movies multiple times. Um, and there was enough new stuff to, to make it interesting and, and some little points that were like, oh, wow. So the, oh, and, and seeing like the different characters come back and it's like, oh man, I, yeah, it's so good to see them. And, you know, the one thing I would have, I would have asked was it would have been nice to have just gotten a, a Rick Moranis sighting. Yes. But I, yes. but yet I, I understand like the man is retired and he, and he yeah. is staying retired and I can respect that. I can respect that. It would have been great for him to come out of retirement for like, a half day yeah like give me dana barrett at the end or, or you know whatever like have him knock on the door like even you don't even ha- even have to have him come in like just have a voiceover like that you know just li- listen rick can you just hold the phone up and say this line you know we'll send you a check but you know we're going to process it and have it sound like you're coming through the door it'll be great you know something like that that would have been great but that's the only thing i could have asked for it was it was everything else i could have asked for love it absolutely loved it mm-hmm I have to ask, uh, as as a father to a father, uh, last fifteen minutes, a little dusty in the theater for you. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I mean, like it wasn't even the fact that they brought all throughout the movie. There's that element of Egon being there, you know, like guiding his granddaughter like down to that bunker and yeah. you know, showing her how to repair the proton pack and all that sort of stuff. What got me was his first appearance when she's taking a shot at Gozer and then he appears next to her like a grandfather. Oh, oh yeah. And, and holding her, ho- her arm, oh, guiding her. I'm just like, oh, you diabolical geniuses, you. <laughs> You're going to make me cry right now. <laughs> 
it, it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Actually, was. actually, the moment before that, when when his daughter was down in in that secret bunker mm. and saw all the photos and all the notes yep. on her, like the one that just stood out to me was like you know you know number of number of freckles seemed to have doubled and things like that, like. Because it, it was it was touching, but yet it was so Egon. Like that yeah. is totally how Egon he would be, he would be totally measuring measuring like stool samples and everything else like with his kid, and <laughs> not in a creepy way, but just because that's he's a meticulous science geek, right? And you know that he would be like so attentive that it would probably drive the kid crazy. But she got it and realized like he wasn't there, but he you could tell that he wanted to be there. That yeah. he was still yeah. he was still so invested in her life and and finding out as much about her as possible, you know, and that started that whole thing. And then yeah, as soon as he showed up, like actually showed up, it was like, oh come on, mm-hmm. come on, dude, I yeah. I, uh, I can't take it. I, but yeah, at the same time, like they've got to do it, right? They've got to do it. And so or- when that moment happened, I was like. It, it was just like this release, like, oh, yes, this yeah. is just what I was hoping for. Oh, man, it was gorgeous. Gorgeous. And then the the shot of him standing next to the three of them. I, yeah. I thought it was brilliant by Jason Reitman to and, and, you know, not that there was a lot of time spent on this or, or a lot of depth to it, but I thought it was, you know, just and, and he would be the right director to do this, given his father directed the first one that he kind of created or, or, or brought to light. There was this friction between Ray and, and Egon. Because mm. Ray and Egon always seemed like they were like copacetic, you know, like like oh bro- yeah, just brothers from another mother sort of thing, you know. And I thought it was really smart for him to kind of throw that curveball in where where Ray, like like it really took me by surprise when when Phoebe calls him and he's just like you know oh you can burn in hell and I'm yeah. just like and then Phoebe's like he died last week. <laughs> It's like, and you can tell, like in that moment, like if because I always enjoyed like Ray. I always yeah. enjoyed Ray's character because he was yeah. he he kind of seemed like he wanted to be the tough guy, but yet in his heart he knew I'm not. Right. I I know that I'm not, you know, and and thus that whole you know, according to the state of New York and the blah 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 and like these big speeches, <laughs> and then just dumbfounded, like, are you a god? Right. He's like, uh, no. And then of course the call back in that in this in this movie was just like. Oh, it's so great. And in the most Ray way possible, like, yes, yeah, he, he looks over at them and they're both just like, oh, come on. <laughs> you you know how this goes. <laughs> like, you can't tell me you forgot. Yeah. Like what happens. Right. I mean, that's a pretty it's not, it's not like just something that happened last week. Like, oh, do you remember what happened on TV? No, we right. were there in the presence of like, oh, yeah, you know, eight, 80 foot marshmallow man, all that. Remember that? No, no, you don't. OK, that's it. You go to the hall. <laughs> and um. But yeah, it, it like, but to for Ray to bring that out, but then to immediately have that gut thing, like, because you know he was venting and all that, but then immediately just go, that ultra humanity, like mm-hmm. that, just oh man, that that was it was rough, but also so gratifying. He's like, "There's Ray, there's yeah. Ray." I just felt, and, and you already touched on it, but the the ending was was just phenomenal, and 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 I really liked how they ended it because it it really did, you know, the the movie did really end with that you know after that final hug with with his daughter and and you kind of mm. you know you see his apparition kind of go up into the sky going going to the afterlife that was it you know i mean it said for harold and then it kind of went into the oh credits. which oh my gosh as soon as as soon as that came up that's again i oh. it's one of those things where i i was like it was it was almost like in a in end game where they they pan back and there's and there's tony's kid talking with happy oh. and like you know, then the cheeseburger moment. Like I thought yeah. I'd made it. 
Yeah. You know, I thought I'd made it. And then all of a sudden for Harold, I was like, oh, right, man. You're killing me, Smalls. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. And of course, it was nice because, like, yeah, that that kind of ends that story. Yeah. But yet, then you you also got then you got your little you got your little like you know Venkman Dana moment, which was which was awesome, mm-hmm. which is such a great little moment. But then, of course, the post credit scene is now like the setup of like, okay, now what? And I I love that. I love the fact that you kind of you if you just if you if you left as soon as the credits started rolling, it's a complete movie for you. Yeah, and yeah. then the, and then the mid the mid credits scene is that bonus, and then the like the post credits is a true epilogue, you know, and and oh it was, oh it was great, and so so I I feel like we're we're kind of heading into like casting characters here because I think that that's the next step. Yeah, and my bridge into that is man, how awesome is it to see Winston Zeddemore go from I believe anything if there's a paycheck in it <laughs> to being like. This ultra successful dude who's yep. got like the sharp suit. He's like he's floating Ray's business. Yep. You know, he's he's buying the, the fire station at the end. It's, it was it's just so awesome to be like, damn, you go, Winston. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, Venkman's off teaching marketing, which I'm like, right on. Yeah, that's exact. He should have been there all the time. Really. Which, which makes perfect sense for all the characters. Egon was the egghead. Yeah. Ray was, you know, the like you said, Ray's the heart and soul and was kind of the philosopher of them all. Venkman mm-hmm. was the sales. I mean, of the three of them, Venkman was the one who was kind of the oddball. I mean, he was really the salesman, right? <laughs> oh, and, and like the sleaziest used car salesman too. <laughs> oh, like and, especially and, in that in that in the in the first Ghostbusters, like you are a poor scientist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like as some sort of hustle or dodge. I was like, yep, yep. All yes, yes. I mean, you can't help but nod along with that dude when he's kicking him out. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. You're pretty. Yep, you're right. You are right. Indeed. Yep. No, and and that was great. And my other thing is, my other note for the cast and characters was really, man, McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard. Which number one, first of all, great freaking name for these kids. Like, mm-hmm. dang. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. But uh, McKenna Grace, especially, like, such broad shoulders like this entire movie rested on her character oh she 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 was the standout hands down she was amazing amazing like finn eh, yeah he was there and he he did a great job with what he was doing but man this was this was like all about phoebe and focused so much on her that man she did a great job in this flick just great finn wolfhart is also one of the leads in stranger things and so yeah uh, you know not that this role was a ripoff from that show, but it was very similar, you, you know, similar setting to see him in kind of an, an oddball sort of show about paranormal kind of craziness going on. I really enjoyed too how between the two of them, there were those physical traits of Egon there, you know, like you, yeah. you could see it in Finn's face. You could see it in McKenna's, you know, hair and, and face as well. Like, like you could just tell they were like Egon's, you know, grandkids and, and that sort yeah. of thing. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And the uh, so going back to the Stranger Things thing, one of the another thing that I I got out of the Fat Man Beyond episode really that didn't quite click with me is essentially this is like a 21st century Goonies, like Mm -hmm. Jason Wrightman managed to give us Goonies, which uh, so many other directors and studios have tried to do. They've tried to have their new Goonies and all this and all the kids go out and do that. And here it is. Mm hmm. It's like Goonies Ghostbusters because these kids are off kind of doing their thing. And that was it was so interesting because it it was such a an, an like 80s movie in terms of the kids just go off and do stuff. 
and the parents are never wondering where the hell they are, which right, is not a thing right. that happens now. But back in the 80s, you could do that. Like you could just disappear for the whole day, whole day. And the parents are like, thank God. <laughs> hey, do you know where little Johnny is? No. And it is gorgeous. It is exactly what I've been hoping for for three days right now. To have that little rug rat out from under my nose. It just happens constantly in this movie. And yeah. the other thing of, of, of just like when they go around and shoot up the town and and like kind of biggish things happen, but yet nothing really there's no real immediate reaction, yeah. which is kind of a, a trait of 80s movies was like something could happen. And then it's almost like in Grand Theft Auto, whereas as long as you hid for a little while, then the cops stopped looking for you. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Like you could get into you can get into this much trouble without without the popo coming for you, you know, that sort of thing. That was like every 80s movies, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was great, too. But well, and, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that, like the setting. Like, I, I love the fact this wasn't in, you know, a metropolis city. I, I, I love it was based in a small rural town, mm-hmm. you know, away from everything. It, it was such a departure from and, and we had talked about this. We you know, I was looking back, we we did an episode, I think it was back in July, where we talked about the trailer. Mm. And you and I both really like the fact and, and still, you know, after seeing the movie, think this was a great decision to completely keep it out of New York or any sort of major metropolitan area and, and just put the story in a different setting and, yeah. and, and let it play out, you know, and, and just let it kind of do its thing. And I, I mentioned it earlier, I, I loved the fact that they brought, you know, this tie-in with with this name that was dropped in the first movie of Evo Shandor and the fact that, mm. you know, he, he apparently created this town and was really responsible for its existence and that sort of thing. I really didn't think, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Nitz in a little bit. I didn't think there was an, an, a necessity to have Evo Shandor there. And, and, and I really felt that was kind of like my one little nit is there, there was really no explanation, no exposition or anything around his presence at all. I mean, it was just like, okay, he's there in some sort of chamber. How is he being kept alive? Why is he being kept alive? You know, why is it when the spirits rise, he's coming back? You know, like, like we didn't understand any of that. Whereas we had a frame of reference for Gozer and, you know, the gatekeeper and the key master and so forth. So I, I just thought that was a little strange. But outside of that, I thought the setting was perfect. Love Phoebe and Trevor and and, and just the, the, the actress and actor who, who played them respectively and just the 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 heart that they brought to those characters and and really a lot of it like you said it rested on their shoulders to communicate that that family connection and and really bring bring that that emotion especially you know at the end the one thing i'll say about winston love the end credit scene love that they have the character who was kind of given an opportunity by these three knuckleheads to be the one that is kind of managing it and and kind of maintaining it mm, and and yeah. who was the most success you know really like you said was the most successful of the four of them but in a way giving back to them and and I I don't remember exactly what he said during his you know kind of back and forth with with Janine but it it had that feel of you know these guys gave me a chance and you know I I, I want to respect what we did and and kind of keep that going you know, and, and, and I thought that was such a, a great, you know, he, he's not the heart and soul of the Ghostbusters, but but it's a very, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but very noble pursuit. And, and I think, you know, you have in the notes uh, loyalty, you know, like like, there, like there's yeah. a loyalty to the whole thing and, and, and to the four of them and stuff. And so I thought that was just really cool that they took his character and elevated it that way as, as like he's kind of now the foundation that's kind of keeping that going moving forward if there are future movies or if there are you know expansion of of ghostbusters as as a story that that he'll probably be big in in terms of of driving that and so i, I think that's a really great call on their part to to, to kind of have his character transform that way 
Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So next up uh, on the outline here, you have um, you you originally had plot and story, and I, I kind of changed it around to uh, to story versus fan service because for me. I really felt like the reason this whole thing works for me is because Jason Reitman got this right. Mm-hmm. And the idea being with a lot of uh, you pretty much talk to anybody from Stephen King writing novels to uh, to screenwriters. The story is the boss. Story is king. And and when you get into plot, plot is tricky because plot is, is kind of this manufactured thing. Like what you really want is a story. No one's like, at least when I'm going for something I'm like, ooh, I want a really interesting plot. No, I want a good story. Spin me a good yarn mm. and give me good characters who have things happen to them and who do things and and that comes to some sort of big thing and then takes me on a trip. I don't want like, okay, and then on page 30, you need to have this happen. And then on page 60, there needs to be the long night of the soul. And then here's the false loss. And here's the the redemption and all this. And that happens on page 83. Don't give me all that. Like that's plot. Story is like, here is this guy who gave up everything, including his his kid, mm-hmm. to go to try and save the world. Right. And no and and knowing that no one's gonna believe him and that he's going to just essentially have this existence. And then what happens to his kids after his kid afterwards and then his grandkids, and then what happens when events conspire that kind of undoes what he had kind of set up. Right. You know? There that's like give me that story, sure. But here's the thing like he kept the story in the driver's seat, but he still managed to give fans what they wanted, or quite a bit of what they wanted at least. Now, the two things to keep in mind here, or the, the first thing that I keep in mind with fan service is, number one, fans are dumb. <laughs> I just want, I wanted to let that hang there for a minute. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Uncle Todd, 9 o'clock p.m. Central Time, November 29th, Monday. Go ahead. So here's the thing, because, and I'm including myself in that, we don't know what we want until we see it, and then we think we know everything. Right, right. Who knew that they wanted Star Wars until they saw Star Wars? Right. People said, oh, well, a great sci-fi movie would be great. Oh, I want a big epic movie or anything like that. But nobody said, oh, I want a story about that and, and, and nail that entire thing. No, because they hadn't seen it. So now you get Star Wars and then you get Empire Strikes Back. You get Return of the Jedi. Now, all of a sudden, every smart ass fan thinks that they know best. And then they crap all over the new stuff because, oh, well, I don't want that as a fan. Ah, blah, blah, blah. Like you didn't even know you wanted this until it was shown to you. But now because it's been shown to you, now you keep saying there's this thing of, oh, I want more of what I like, but I want it different. So fans could be this dumb kind of fickleness of like, Mm -hmm. I I want new, but not that kind of new. I want the kind of new that I'm familiar with. Well, that's not new. That's old. Right. No, no, no. I want it new, though. Okay, whatever. So you got to keep that in mind at all times. So when people start getting a little antsy about, oh, well, they didn't do this, they didn't do this, they didn't do this. You know what? It ain't your call because last time I checked, you didn't make Ghostbusters. You didn't make Star Trek. You didn't make Star Wars. There is surprisingly a very low percentage, actually not surprisingly, of fans who then go on to do their own thing because it's really freaking hard. And it's just a lot easier for fans to sit there and, and, and kvetch over the internet. So there's my, there's my take on that. Like if, if fans get upset because the, there's not enough fan service is because 
they don't understand what they necessarily want until they get it. Right. And to your point, though, I feel like it was balanced. I mean, and maybe I have a different definition of fan service than than what you're talking about. But I mean, even the little things like like the music, like the fact that they wove in mm-hmm. elements of the original score from the first movie into it, you know, that didn't, 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 you know, just yep. just just that 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 kind of background music as the story is playing out just gave it a texture and a feel like if that wasn't there, then something would be lacking. You know what I mean? Um, oh, totally, totally. And and so I, I I loved how they brought in all of those little elements from the first movie into it as 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 a way of kind of enhancing it. Now, would someone who's sixteen or or thirteen who watched the movie kind of look at it the same way we are? Probably not. But I feel like including those little details and kind of delivering you know, like we talked about just this story that was kind of leaning on some mechanics that were kind of defined in another, you know, kind of in an earlier story, I, I thought allowed, you know, as, as you put it in our outline, you know, allowed Reitman to keep the story in the driver's seat. I a hundred percent think that's really by design and, and, and what they were trying to go for, because by doing that, you, you can focus on the important aspects of what you're trying to tell in that story, as opposed to getting bogged down in trying to explain away everything that's going on. Yes. And the the second point I was going to make about that whole thing is that that fans should get what they some of what they want. Like you ought to give people what they want. You know, like Kevin Smith had once said like once you start doing sequels, you are in the fan service business whether you like it or not because people want some of what they got. It's finding that balance. Like you were saying right. and and having the story still be able to be the story and leading the charge and the fan service not in the, necessarily in the back seat, but definitely not in the driver's seat. Yep. And yep. I think that he did a great job of doing that, as opposed to Star Wars Episode Nine, which just that because there wasn't, and I, I'm coming around more and more to what you and Jimmy Dice had said about there not being a, a firm hand on the wheel in terms of uh, of that entire trilogy. I think it could have been done better. I think if it, you know if JJ had been a little bit more mindful, or if someone had basically if there had been a better kind of plan or someone had a bit more authority directly to say, this is how this whole thing is going to play out. Or if they hadn't just gotten nervous about the reaction to episode eight, I don't know which it is. I'll probably never know. Hmm. However, in episode nine, they veered so hard into fan service that it completely fracked the story that they had done in episode seven and eight, which I still to this day say, if you would just not try to course correct every single freaking thing from episode eight and just played out the story as it was supposed to be, wow, probably would have been better. But instead, we're going to get into this fan service mode and we're going to try and give everyone the, you know, the Star Wars on the left moment and everything else. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It, it, you leave with an empty experience. Right. And right. in this in this case, like you got enough of the fan service stuff, like you got enough of the little Easter eggs, you got enough of the little things like, oh, and it's kind of setting up the four kids as as each one relates to a Ghostbuster, to the older Ghostbusters and, and all of those things, you know, seeing like Egon's, you know, spore and mold collection, you know, as a quick <laughs> thing and, and all of that, like all of that was great. But if it's not set in a compelling story and if you aren't adhering to that story and always going back to, okay, here's a cool moment, but here's the story, it doesn't matter. Mm. 
Mm. You can have the greatest fan service in the world. The movie is going to stink or it's not going to be, it's at least not going to achieve the potential that it could have. Right. And, you know, I said balance, I'll, I'll say restraint now, but I, I really appreciate the fact that they wove in the original cast toward the end, the way that they did. I, I thought that was masterful the way they did that because you could have easily been tempted to kind of make it about them and, you know, bring them in halfway through and bog it down with them coming back and all this stuff. And it was like, it was just the right amount. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like even though it was, it was at the very end and it was a little bit, it was just the right amount and it provided the right amount of emotion. Like their whole return was meant to bring that emotion, that feel from the original, but, but again, to kind of bring the, the old and the new generation together, as well as bring kind of in a way, the four of them back together where you had, you know, Ray apologizing, you had Winston, you know, when Winston says, I miss you, my friend, I mean, that, that, that was another one of those where he's like, oh, it's getting dusty in here. <laughs> sort of thing, yeah. you know, yeah. like you could just tell that there was just this depth to their relationship. And, and I, and I'm sure it had something to do with the four of them being good friends through, you know, the making of the first movie and, and then the second. So I, I feel like, they showed the right amount of restraint, like let his family be the focus for three quarters of the movie. And that last quarter, let's bring it all together and knock out the home run and hundred percent nailed it. Yeah. And keep in mind, it's not like they brought the original guys back and they saved the day. They can't right. save the day. Like they weren't able to do it. Why? Because they're missing Egon. They needed all four of them. Right. And, right. and the kids couldn't do it because they can't do it all on their own. Right. So you need to bring everyone together. And I thought that was a beautiful moment because it, again, it, it allowed you to show like the old and the new coming together, especially with Egon there, like helping his granddaughter mm. and, and all of that coming together to show like, it is about family. It is about teamwork. It is about loyalty. It is about friendship and all of that. And the responsibility that you have that the older Ghostbusters have the responsibility of it's our friends, family. We got to go. Right. Like right. this is what, this is what we got to do. And I thought all of that just came together so beautifully. Like you said, it, it just, they let the focus be where it needed to be. The story, they came in when it, when it would work best for the story. To me, the ultimate fan service thing would be like you say, to bring the Ghostbusters in or no, here's the, here's the ultimate fan service thing. Okay. Here's the ultimate fan service thing. So Ghostbusters 2 famously started out with what, what was like six years later yeah. or, or yeah. you know five years, whatever. And that was like the opening card. You want the ultimate fan service? Opening card, 32 years later. <laughs> and you show like Ray investigating what happened to Egon. You could even have like the same beginning of him running around mm -hmm. and all that. And then you immediately go from there to Ray investigating. And you flash between Ray and Winston talking about this stuff. And maybe you even have, you know, Venkman come in once or twice or whatever. But you play all that, you play out the simultaneous tracks of, of Egon's family mm -hmm. and the Ghostbusters in New York. And then it all comes together, like you say, but it, it, it would have taken away so much because you don't live with this family. That's the ultimate fan service. That's the fan service version of this movie is that the Ghostbusters are, are woven throughout the entire movie instead of like, it takes you until halfway through the movie before you even get a mention of Ray. Yeah. You know, and, and any of that. So I think that it was, it was done exactly the way it should have been. I agree. 100%. Oh, and an update right now. We are in the third quarter, and Russell Wilson has 20 points, which means I am still screwed. But, hey. <laughs> now he's got to go times four on that. <laughs> yeah. 
My gosh, yeah. we're, we're roughly having the same you know conversation we had a couple episodes ago when when I was really banking on Debo to post sixty points. Yeah, I'm feeling dirtier by the moment. Anyways, <laughs> um, at least he hasn't thrown an it yet. Uh, well, I, thanks for jinxing me on that. I appreciate it. It's well, going to start hey, taking points off the board. It, it benefits um, my team if he doesn't do well. So, so a ton of Easter eggs in this. And I, first of all, I mean, I, it's kind of remarkable we haven't mentioned the the ageless wonder of Paul Rudd yet. Um, <laughs> Because even though he grew a beard and he's showing some gray hair, I'm like, I, I totally think that they actually grayed his hair. Like, I yeah. don't believe that he like he still looks like he's, I don't know, like, what, 29, 30. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you notice? Because this has been pointed out before, of course, when he's in the Wally world in Oklahoma, which seems like a, a very clean Walmart for what I picture the middle of nowhere to be. Like I picture the middle of nowhere Walmart to be a little bit more dingier than that. But anyways, mm-hmm. you know, you got to put your best foot forward for the product placement. But of course it's been pointed out. He stands in front of the Baskin Robbins freezer at Walmart, uh, which famously he worked at Baskin Robbins in Ant-Man before getting canned. Ah. However, did you notice that he, gra- he grabs the same flavor ice cream? It's the same as the shake that he got when he got fired in Ant-Man. I and he makes not. a mention of, of pointing it out. I can't remember what it is at this moment, but yeah, I thought that was, it was like a nice Easter egg. And then it was an Easter egg nested inside that Easter egg. Cause mm. it was such a little throwaway line. It was great. Um, <laughs> I, I did appreciate like the gunner's seat. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> which was, which is just downright cool, but was also cool because apparently that was, uh, I, th- and I thought I remembered this from like the, uh, the cartoon, like that was a thing in the in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, and uh, but and is now getting carried into Ecto One for this flick, which I thought was kind of cool. What are some of the ones that you enjoyed in this? Sorry, I was lowering my desk. <laughs> You'll have to edit this out. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go on for a little bit longer. Uh, in other- the background here, <laughs> which is a sound of old man Tim. Like I gotta sit down. My bunions are killing me. <laughs> I've been standing for near two hours, for crying out loud. Um, yeah, you've been standing for two hours drinking Uncle Nearest, so you're getting a little uh, wobbly. Like, <laughs> Actually, it was the uh, 101 Proof Maker's Mark uh, special there that I, I got a couple of weeks ago. Oh, you fancy lad, you. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Easter other eggs. Easter eggs. I mean, I talked about one with the music, you know, kind of bringing back the old, you know, just, just some of the elements of the soundtrack of, of the first movie to kind of bring back, I think, some of that nostalgia. What else? The gunner seats. Love the remote control uh, trap. Mm. Uh, I thought that was that, that was a very cool, cool point there. We've talked a lot about Evo Shandor. I, I honestly don't know why they cast anyone for that. I, <laughs> I mean... They did it for the sight gag. They did it for the sight gag of, of him just getting ripped apart after like one line. And Oscar you know who that winner was? J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And you know what? God bless him for that. You know he was like, can I uh, get a part in this movie? Just anything. Like it's it's like when Daniel Craig was in uh, was in one of the Star Wars movies as a stormtrooper. You know yes. he was like giddy when he did that. Like they probably had to do three takes that because he kept on giggling. Yes. Like Daniel, we you got to stop giggling. I'm, I'm sorry. This is just so cool. I'm James <laughs> Bond and a stormtrooper. <laughs> I would do it. Like to me that. See, here's the thing. Like this is why I probably shouldn't ever be a famous person. You know, be, beyond the you know the podcasting mogul that I am. Oh, and because you are. I would. I would want to spend all my time doing goofy crap like that. I just want to do cameos. I want to do weird stuff and just like satisfy all my little my little geek cravings for things like that. That would be the entire purpose for me becoming famous. 
And and ain't nobody going to let me become famous just for that. <laughs> other than that, I don't know that I identified any other. Um... You had the you had the little the the uh, the vegetable strainer with all the attachments on it that uh, that Tully wore. Ah, um, yes. Yes. And then you had, of course, Ray's uh, goggles on the on the on podcast. What else? Was I love there? how he took a picture with them and knew right away to take the picture that popped out on the side and shake it. You know, like yes. it's like how do you even know yeah. to do that? Like that hasn't existed in twenty years. No, no, actually, Polaroids have been around, been back around. Like it's a th- right. it's a thing. They're out there. Right. Oh, I don't the know uh, sheriff who put him in the pokey. You know, uh, when she asked for her phone call, and he's like, "Who are you going to call?" <laughs> uh, that was that was nice. That was nice. That was nice. I, I don't know if I have any other ones. Yeah, I didn't I didn't go I mean, I noticed a lot when I was when I was watching it. Like there was a few little things like you'd see an item and things like that. I didn't to me it was it was nice that only a few of them really stood out enough to me to really remember, but I know that once I get this on DVD because I will be buying this uh, who am I kidding? I'm buying this on Blu-ray. And uh once I watch it another 5 or 10 times, I will be able to go chapter and verse on all of the yeah, Easter eggs but right. right now. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Just a lot of, of wonderful stuff happening. Uh, going back. I mean, then you have the mid credit scene with, with Dana quizzing Venkman yeah. on the cards, yeah. which was, which was great. And then at the end of, of course, uh, you know, the, uh, the containment unit, mm-hmm. blinking red, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, as we, as we've heard before, like, that's not good, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah, like the uh, the the energy is as the Twinkie would be the size of Manhattan, you know, something like that. That's a that's a big Twinkie, <laughs> as as Winston said. Yes. Oh man, yeah. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of great little kind of stuff that really didn't jump out, but were was was very warm and welcoming. It was. Yeah. It was. So do we even have to do a buy or sell on this? I mean, it's it, it, I, it, it feels I, I, like an empty exercise because I think it is a foregone conclusion. After, We've already bought after gushing for almost 50 minutes about this movie. Um, I'm going to sell. It's just, <laughs> it's just how much we're going to buy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it to me. It reminds me of a. So if you've ever watched uh, Hearts of Darkness, which is uh, the making of Apocalypse Now. And at one point, Francis Coppola is talking about getting fog machines, and he wants more fog machines. And at one point, he's like, can I buy the ones that I've already bought? Good. I'll give them to you as a part, as a, as a gift at the wrap party. Oh and God. just that sort of thing, like, can I already buy what I've already bought of this movie? Yes. Okay, I'll <laughs> buy some more then. That's my only question. Can I, already, can I buy what I've already bought about this movie? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good. Good. Yeah, I'm. T- I'm. S- I was so in on this movie from the teaser, and and uh, having seen it, um, even more in. I want. I want to go see it again. I, I really do want to see it again in the theaters. I, I I am curious for someone who's from you know this younger generation, you know, who doesn't have a family, who either may not have seen the first movie or it's been a while since they've seen the first movie. I I also wonder how it would resonate with them. You know what I mean? Because you you and I are talking as huge fans of the franchise have watched I can't even wager a guess as to how many times I watched the first Ghostbusters it was like one of my favorite movies through my preteen teen years just watching it over and over. I loved it when Ghostbusters 2 came out I was all over that so I'm just curious if it resonates the same because it almost feels like in some ways the story is a little is geared a little bit more toward folks like us you know 
as uh, like oh, I, totally is. I I don't know that that the younger generation it would kind of resonate the same way, but nonetheless, I would say as, as we've talked about just just that theme of of family, I, I I think is hopefully something that 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 speaks to a lot of people because I think it's a very heartwarming tale. So, well done to uh, Mr. Reitman on that. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that. It, I don't think it'll resonate the same way, but I think it can resonate. It's just it's not going to be the same, yeah, as it is for a couple of you know mid forties guys who grew up with this movie. But my daughter, who is I think may have seen Ghostbusters twice, mm-hmm. and I think we I don't even know if she's watched Ghostbusters two yet. I don't know if we got around to that one, but I mean, she's fourteen, and and we were watching this. And she kept on like to the point where I had to basically t- tell her, like, please just let me watch the movie. We can point out all the Easter eggs when we're on the couch, but I really want to watch this right now because she was like, that's the thing. That's a, that, that that And she was like, she, she knew the stuff that was happening. Like she was pointing them out to me. And I'm like, OK, please. I just want to watch this movie, though. Like, yeah, like yeah. When, when we can pause this, I'm all over this with you. Really, kid. But I just mm-hmm. please just give me this moment to like see this on the big screen. So, I mean, it resonated for her. And she enjoyed the flick a lot. That's good. Now, granted, I mean, she's also my kid. So there's there is a the geek is strong with her. Um, So I don't know. Like, but then again, I don't know how many how many people are just walking into the theater cold on this movie. I really don't Mm. because Ghostbusters really is one of those things that I feel like it's permeated society to a certain degree that even a healthy dose of people who, you know, kids now have seen something of it or heard something of those movies. You know, yeah. so I don't know how cold anyone's going into this movie, but it worked for her. Yeah, excellent. And another thing. Well, sir, what do you have for and another thing this week? So I'm going to go back to a uh, prior and another thing, long, long time ago. Your main guy. Long time ago, uh, <laughs> I had talked about a a podcast I am quite uh, uh, fond of to to listen to. Uh, Called How I Built This, uh, hosted by Guy Raz. Well, he has he he now has another uh, podcast. Uh, I think he's trying uh, to compete with us as moguls. But uh oh, uh, <laughs> what's the uh oh for? Patrick. Oh geez, <laughs> how did I know? Patrick, I want you to get me uh get me NPR on the phone. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, I, I want to talk to this Guy Raz guy. No, his name isn't Guy Raz Guy. He's a guy who's named Guy Raz. No, it's not Guy Guy Raz. <laughs> no, it, his name is Guy Raz. No, he doesn't own a garage. <laughs> Guy, you know what? Um, go back down and fix the heat. I'm starting to get chills up here. <laughs> I don't care if you got electrocuted. Well, I mean, I do care, but I kind of don't care. Well, don't touch that then. Don't touch that either. <laughs> I don't know what you can touch. Just go, go fix the heat, please. Wow. I said please. And don't go to McDonald's again. Remember? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, well, <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. I feel like I got to start over after that little skit. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a wonder. It's a good thing we don't drink during the podcast anymore, or at least I don't drink well, during the podcast anymore. <laughs> I so anyway, I, I wisdom had a from the night. top. I, I had a wisdom. Night. 
Okay. Was it, did you like do like the rock and you had like, you know, banana pancakes with peanut butter smeared on them along with your, your uh, maker's mark? Uh, no, I did not. I, I simply had a uh, maker's mark neat. Uh, well, so anyways, wisdom from the top with Guy Raz. Yes. So Guy Raz invites you to listen as he talks to leadership experts. So it, it it's not, you know, it sounds awfully familiar to, to what How I Built This is. How I Built This is very much entrepreneur stories of how businesses that grew into these, these billion dollar businesses came to be. And the journey of the creator from the very beginning to the point where either they sold or they're still in charge of it. This one is he's talking with uh, CEOs, executives who uh, are leading some of the world's biggest brands today and talking with them and hearing their accounts of the crises they've gone through, uh, failures they've experienced, turnarounds, triumph as they they reveal their secrets, um, you know, kind of that that led them to the top. And so the one that I've hmm. listened to up to this point was the very first episode with the CEO of Lego, uh, Jorgen Vig. Uh, nude Storp. And it was a wow. very interesting listen because, you know, again, he, he is not the one that created Lego. He, he kind of came into Lego as a consultant and kind of grew his way into this executive role that he's in now. But it was very interesting to, to hear him tell the story of how, you know, when he got kind of a handle on the business and what Lego was doing, how the way they were structured, they were destined to fail. Anytime they would try to scale up, they would lose even more money. Um, hmm. And it was all about his story of how they had to restructure and kind of steer the ship in a different direction to get them to be profitable, which was really shocking to me because my my kids were were very little in the early 2000s all the way up, you know, through the, the, the 2010s. Legos were everywhere. You, I, I never would have thought they were ever in trouble. But no, during the 2000s, hmm. they're, they were on the brink and you know, we're, we're navigating some very choppy waters. And so it was a very, very interesting uh, listen. And so they, they have others on um, brands such as Peloton, uh, Gatorade, PepsiCo, and other companies, you know, that, that where he interviews these leaders. And so uh, if you're interested in these stories, I'm, I'm always, you know, during the workday, I like to listen to them just to kind of hear their stories and, and draw some inspiration from things they've learned or, or, or problems they've overcome. And, and so if you're into that, I would highly recommend this podcast to you. It is a great listen. Guy Raz is just a, a, a master host and, and a master storyteller. Really, the, mm. these, these shows, both this and how I built this, just feel like you're sitting down and listening to a guy kind of tell a story of, of these individuals and, and, and just the way he you know kind of weaves the question and where he takes them and stuff is just a master class on how to do that. So uh, Wisdom from the Top by Guy Raz. Uh, do check it out and give it a listen. Uh, you will not be disappointed. So, sir, what is uh, your in another thing? And just remember, that is, an, that is a, the man they call Tim Guarantee. If you are not satisfied with that podcast that he just recommended, you send those You're thoughts kidding. to Tim at FreeRangeEDC.com. Dang it. And you let him know. And he'll, he'll give you a full refund. Duh. A full refund. Well, zero times zero is zero. Uh, true. Uh, for me, I actually am going to uh, a little bit of recommendation uh, for something I haven't quite finished yet, but I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> you might have heard that uh, there's this little documentary on this little band that, I mean, very obscure band called The Beatles mm. on Disney+. Plus. Have you heard of this thing? Who that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let me just say this. Uh, is This is a very, very interesting documentary. It's during the... Uh, it's kind of the the hidden, not hidden, but this footage that's been around 
for a long time that nobody had really done anything with so, something like 50 hours worth of footage of when they the Beatles were making Let It Be and they kind of started out with this idea of recording all of their the music for the album live and all this and and this is kind of the making of all of that and how plans change and how things change and, and how the band went through that entire process very interesting very very interesting it's it's so interesting to basically just sit there and watch four people who are this influential in terms of modern pop music sit around and just be a band and yeah. and for, yeah. especially for someone like me who sat in band rehearsals before trying to write music trying to work on songs i'm like oh my gosh i'm just sitting in on a band rehearsal and and there's so many th there's there's so many times i'm like yep that sounds about like how most bands are you just you you start making stupid jokes and goofing around and you play someone else's songs and sometimes you you play them really badly just because it seems like a fun thing to do you know then of course you have the the infighting and of course someone gets ticked off and I was watching like the 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 part of the episode when uh the part of I think it's the second second part of the uh, the documentary and George Harrison quits the Beatles. Oh wow! <laughs> and I'm sitting there watching with my mom, and I was like, "Well, it's not really a band until somebody either threatens or does quit in the middle of a rehearsal." <laughs> Like there's always that thing of like, you know, you, of just getting ticked off with people and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, it, it is just a band, even though it's the Beatles with capital. Take my you know, ball home. Exactly. And it was it's so interesting. Now, the one complaint I do have, and this this is totally to do with my own level of fandom with the Beatles, is this documentary, which is in three parts, is about eight hours long. Oh, geez. Wow. The first two parts are three hours long each. The final part is like two hours, 15 minutes. Holy moly. So you're over eight hours. Now, I looked this up because I was curious about it today. The core Beatles discography, all like their their main albums, not including compilations and all this stuff, like their, their original works basically add up to 10 hours worth of music. Wow. So you could listen to the entire Beatles catalog in 10 hours, or you can watch this movie in eight and a quarter. And see George quit. It seems a little long. Mm -hmm. Then you realize, oh, Peter Jackson was involved. Of course, it's going to be really freaking long. Does Frodo pop in there? It, you know, that would that might break things up. Do they, uh, Gandalf? Although the 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 documentary, the director of the documentary, who's a a, a figure in the entire thing, mm. it does kind of he is annoying enough to be a hobbit. But um, <laughs> jeez. I don't know. I, Hobbits aren't even that annoying. What? Like, I don't even know what. But hey, but it, but it, it feels like it drags in places because there is a lot of minutia. There's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of discussions and all that. And if you're like a hardcore Beatles nerd, I'm. I know that this is fantastic because I, I put this out on Facebook just to see if other people had another reaction. And I just kind of said I felt like it dragged and it, like these episodes could have been like two, two and like an hour and a half instead of like three, three and two and got a response from a, a couple people who were like, yeah, totally. It does feel like it drags. I feel like I'm just sitting in on someone else's band rehearsal that I can't chime in on. <laughs> and then the other part of it being people who are like, no, I have, I am such a Beatles nerd that I would watch all 50 hours yeah. of footage just because I would want to see this. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Like I get it. Like I've never been that hardcore of a Beatles nerd. So Sure enough. OK, it is really great for different parts. Uh, my two favorite parts are uh, one watching Paul McCartney pull the song Get Back basically out of thin air wow. as they're waiting for John Lennon to show up. 
and he just starts fooling around and you see him get like 60% of the song waiting around for John Lennon to show up. And it's remarkable. It's just, it, it is. It's like he's just pulling the music right out of the air. And it's it's amazing. I just had a quick question. So, because I've heard this on the radio, you know, these commercials about it and stuff. And, and I was just curious. So, do you ever get the sense that they're putting on an act? Because I've always wondered about, you know, when the cameras are rolling, are you really seeing, you know, what these what these folks are doing? Or do you really does it really feel like it's you're just watching a band? The fact is, I mean, when you're when you're on camera or like right now when we're on microphone, mm-hmm. you know that you're being recorded, you know that something's happening and, and there is a certain difference in who you are on mic or on camera than who you normally are. Mm. Just because you, it's really hard to forget that you're on camera, especially when you're not dealing with like hidden cameras yeah. and things like that. Like when you have gigantic cameras moving all around you, it's really hard to not notice that. It really is. So I think, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but I, you know, I don't think it's so bad. I think if anything, uh, Paul might be the most guilty of that. Mm. Uh, I think, I think with, with Ringo, certainly, I think it's mostly, he's just like yucking it up. It's almost like you're seeing some of the goofiness that was in the Beatles movies before that, you know, yeah. I don't really get that feeling. I really don't. Interesting. Another favorite, another favorite moment is at one point they're talking about set designs for this live TV event that they were going to do. And as they're going around and kind of and hemming and hawing and arguing about these set designs, Paul McCartney's just in the background playing like this kind of beginning stage version of Let It Be. Oh, wow. And you just realize like, dude, he's playing this iconic song in the background and ain't nobody paying attention to him because they're all arguing about like what the set should be and this and that and moving around lights and all this. And he's just back there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like he's back there, like creating musical genius, and you guys are just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's it's just such a great kind of like contrast. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I highly recommend it. I'm I've yet to work my way all the way through it because uh, unfortunately, I uh, got other stuff to do, like record this podcast. So uh, I'll eventually finish it. But if you are at all interested in making music, or or especially the Beatles, it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's very interesting, even though it might be a little bit long for those who are not diehard Beatlemaniacs, it's still well worth at least one watch. Are you accusing me of taking you away from watching this this documentary? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad uh, that point came across loud and clear. Jeez. And on that note, once again, folks, maybe, maybe it's cold in HQ. But- it's cold over here now, too. Good Lord. Well, <laughs> Good, because I just checked the thermom- thermostat in here. It was uh, it was 67 when I came in. We're now down to 65. We're, we're creeping <laughs> downwards. We're creeping downwards. <laughs> Patrick apparently is not having any success. Once again, at least I haven't heard any screaming, so I don't think I'm going to have to pull him out of any heating units, but, you know. Is he setting up a small fire in the? Uh... Uh, you know, I've stopped asking questions. If I, <laughs> if if that's how I go, that's how I go. I probably oh, had it coming. Oh dear. So once again, folks, it's time for us to to kind of round things up, to pull up our tent stakes, and take this show. Uh, wherever it is that we take it when we're not here. But thank you to all the members of the Free Range Idiocy Congregation for once again gathering and reading from the Holy Scriptures of Idiocy and and once again Mm. uh, going on this journey that we like to call the Idiodicy. We thank you so much for your support, your listening, your subscribing. It's all wonderful. But you know what? If you have made it this far and you have not subscribed, well, first of all, Thank you for bearing with us. And you know what? Have a drink on us. You deserve it. Uh, Second of all, 
the hell's wrong with you for not subscribing? Get, get going on that. Go to freerangeadc.com and subscribe there. See all of our episodes. You can also find us on fine podcast purveyors of all types. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on iHeartRadio. We are on Google Podcasts. A bunch of others. Ask for us by name, as the kids say, and maybe we'll be there. You can also follow us on the social medias if you want a little extra credit in the uh, the Free Range ADC MLM. Uh, I, we're not quite sci- we're, we're not Scientology. There's no aliens, but you know what? Tim needs to, you know, well, he just needs an ego boost. That's what it is. He's a I, very, he I am an upstream manager, really, ladies and gentlemen. He has he comes across as very humble in this podcast, but oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe the crap he tries to pull in pre-production. Show me the money. If you if you help him out by by boosting some of our social media numbers, ah, oh, he will appreciate it so much. So you can find us on the Twitters, we are on the Facebooks, we are on the Instagrams. All of those are at Free Range Idiocy, and you'll find us. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, complaints, especially Tim loves complaints, loves it. Send all those to Tim at FreeRangeIdiocy.com, and he will get back to you forthwith, if not sooner. And now, now. We come to that wonderful time of the show when I finally stop flapping my gums and we get a hallelujah from the congregation. But first, before we do that, it is once again time to ask that all-important question. It is the second most important question that humanity has ever asked. No, it is not. Who did that? Uh, and, it, and it is certainly not the most important question. That, of course, is what is hip? The second most important question is, what the hell did we learn? Uh, we have learned the following, my friend. Ah, uh, good. Uh, Uncle Todd and the man they call Tim are on a win streak of sorts or are kind of limping toward the playoffs now. So so Uncle Todd, uh, latest update is, is on the losing end, I believe, of his matchup. I knew you were going to bring that up. Well, I knew it. Well, I have something to bring up on my side. So Russell Wilson not exactly putting up the, the 80 points uh, necessary for a complete comeback. Man, they call Tim is is in the driver's seat on his. However, uh, it has just been uh, updated that Debo Samuel is now on the disabled list for a couple weeks uh, with a groin injury. So uh, I am now down one of my key wide receivers going into the uh, final couple of weeks of the regular season. Oh, hang, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I, I, need to, I need just to ask a quick question here. Yeah. Does anybody give a crap about that? Anybody? No, no, oh, so sorry. No one here gives a crap about any of that. Uh, I think a few people do. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Uh, <laughs> mainly, this is all to say it's going to be an interesting final couple of weeks of the regular season before we get to the playoffs. Hopefully, the man they call Tim will be up to full capacity for the final week where it'll be Idiot Bowl 2. Oh, my gosh. And the they, uh, well, not the man they call Todd, the Uncle Todd. So we will see what happens there. Uh, Uncle Todd and the man they call Tim, we have learned mostly done with WWE at this point. Uh, we're, we're, I pretty think much. we're pretty much there. Bring on the AEW. Please, because there's just bring on Vince's head in a jar, and that's when I'll really, I'll Jeez. kick in back on that, and I'll just simply say, bring on AEW. They've been putting out a quality product. <laughs> Do check them out on TNT and soon to be TBS. 
And then finally, uh, as we've been discussing, the the heart of the matter, uh, as Uncle Todd put it, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Phenomenal movie. Just great story. Just just a, a wonderful homage to a very good movie from the 1980s and, and a great franchise that has permeated our culture. And heartwarming tale. Do check it out. I think if if you're if you've come this far, you you've, you've understood that we're both a strong buy on this one. And uh, you know, typically we do this, but I do want to call this out. We 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 we've had a, a 30 or so downloads over the last week on Podbean, uh, which is a bit up for, for us. <laughs> it doesn't sound like much, but it is a bit up for us. Guy Roz, watch out. We're coming for you. We are. We, we're, we're coming for you. coming full steam ahead. Especially want to call out our, our episode 80 shot up. Uh, our Eternals Real and Jabroni Picks shot up some, for, for some reason. I think we have some folks who are, who are curious about this Real and Jabroni thing. And so uh, as, as we originally feared, we were afraid we were going to chase people away. Not happening. So thank you for, uh, you know, the downloads. And, and buckle up, folks, because the next couple episodes, we're going to bring some more real and jabroni your way. A few more uh, bottles of bourbon will be uh, dispensed, and uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, with all that being said, uh, thank you once again. And uh, be safe, be healthy, be kind, be good to one another. Uh, and as we like to say, for no other good reason other than it's just uh, polite, please hit the lights on the way You are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Patrick. <laughs> Didn't you get the heat working? I heard you clanking around down there. Where's the, where's the, where's the tools? <laughs> you drop, okay, you dropped them, but can't you pick them up? Your light went out. Okay, well. Did, did he try to fashion his own proton pack in, in honor of our episode? What do you, what were you, why are you, why are you limping like that? <laughs> Gosh. Okay, yeah, you set the socket down. And then you tripped and you, oh, dear God, you fell how? Uh, What happened? I, I think I'm going to take Patrick to the emergency room. Oh, dear. Um, I'll just say there's a there's a socket extraction. <laughs> Good Lord. That I'm not willing to perform. Oh, gosh. All righty then. Patrick, get your coat. Uncle Todd's going to have a spirited evening tonight, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, don't. Actually, you know what? Don't bend over. I'll get it, okay? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. Now get the hell out of here!